Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Is Lightning private? How much of it is actually doxed and out there in the open? Anthony Ronning, a Bitcoin Lightning developer and uh, writer, uh, wrote about this recently, and I wanted to speak with him because I think this is one of those areas where if you're looking in the mainstream media, they'll, they'll often give the wrong point of view. They might say, oh, it's totally public or it's totally private. And really, it's actually taking the time to understand some of the details of where are the privacy leakages, right? So those people who are looking to be as maximally private as possible on Bitcoin today, they're probably looking to use Samurai Wallet and stay on chain. But for people who maybe the scalability and convenience matters to them and they're not as maximally focused on privacy, then I think Lightning can be useful for them and it can actually be more private than just making a standard on-chain transaction. And so with Anthony, we discuss some of the various concepts and uh, give some practical tips as well. So I'm sure you'll learn a lot from this discussion. Greetings, Stefan Levera fans. This is Dread here, and I have some big news to share. Swan Bitcoin's new private client services division is open for business. So last August, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor kicked off the trend of companies buying Bitcoin for their balance sheets. A flood of high-profile investors and companies have joined him. Names like Paul Tudor Jones, BlackRock, Square, and Tesla. Swan Private exists to meet the massive international demand from thousands of companies, family offices, and high net worth investors from all around the globe. If you're thinking of buying between 100,000 and 100 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin over the next year, visit swanbitcoin.com slash private. That's swanbitcoin.com slash private. Fill out the onboarding form or email the CEO personally, Corey at swanbitcoin.com. That's C-O-R-Y at swanbitcoin.com. Respect fans and one love. Lend at HODL HODL is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow crypto globally and anonymously. Lend at HODL HODL is a way to earn extra income on your stablecoins by lending it with an average of 25% APR. Also, you no longer have to sell your Bitcoin to get some liquidity. Lend at HODL HODL allows you to borrow against your Bitcoin. And the best thing is you'll still hold one key in the two of three multi-sig controlling your Bitcoin during that loan period, since HODL HODL does not hold your funds. Lend at HODL HODL allows peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between its users. With HODL HODL's Lend platform, you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and what interest rate you are looking to earn. Check it out at lend.hodlhodl.com. Are you interested in Bitcoin mining? Compass is an online marketplace which makes it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin. And this is the anti-cloud mining option because you are buying your own ASIC the team are sending to a facility that they have vetted and you select that facility by the way and this allows more and more people to get involved without investing tons and tons of money because now with compass everyone can tap into the economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates which will be far superior to what most of us are getting in terms of residential power rates if you're unsure about how to get started compass offers hardware and hosting bundles eliminating the need for advanced technical knowledge and you can quickly get started mining Bitcoin with hardware that you own. Go to compassmining.io and start mining Bitcoin today. On to the show. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, Stefan. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. 
Yeah, so I saw your article and I thought, well, we've got to we've got to do a discussion about this one. I think it will be very valuable for people who are trying to think more clearly about the privacy implications of Lightning. Um, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you, and uh, how did you? Uh, what's your interest in Bitcoin and Lightning privacy? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, my name is Anthony Ronning. Um, you know, I, I first started in the Bitcoin scene back in 2017 and really just as a, <laughs> a spectator at the beginning, um, but then started getting more into development and even as, as early as 2018 started like playing around with the Lightning Network a little bit and then um, even had some meetups in the local Dallas area um, for it. So uh, just eventually just kept doing like hackathons and little things here and there for Lightning and eventually ended up, you know, doing uh, Bitcoin and Lightning full time um, for a few years now. So uh, it's been like a wild ride and Lightning is like progressing like super rapidly so um it's one of those things especially with the article i just wanted to dive in and make sure that you know there's there's a lot of privacy concerns and maybe some hand waving and i just kind of wanted to even for my own self just to kind of get a clearer picture of where we are with lightning privacy and if i were to start a new node from scratch how would how would i try to achieve the best privacy that i could yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and so just to keep it accessible for people who are listening maybe they're new they have maybe very basic level understanding of bitcoin maybe they've just used a hardware wallet they've never tried any spending or things like that what does it look like could you just give us a basic idea what are the basic mechanics of using lightning and how does it help us you know achieve the the scalability that we all want yeah, exactly. And it's a really good question. I think there's like very two distinct uh, types of UXs when it comes to Lightning. There's that mobile wallet user where we got some really nice um, Lightning service providers, LSPs, um, that really come in and try to extract as much as they can away from the user. So they don't literally, they look at their wallet, their mobile wallet, like maybe it's Moon, Phoenix, or Breeze, and it, it's really just like a balance that they have and they scan invoices and stuff and it tries to extract everything. But on the other hand, you got um, users that like run their own node. Um, maybe it sits on like a Raspberry Pi or a server somewhere. Rats, Raspberry Blitz or Umbral, Umbral are, are really good uh, Raspberry Pi based nodes that have come out recently and, and are, are really pretty good as far as like trying to make the user like, you know, have their own um, node and, and their own wallets and stuff. But essentially um, with the Lightning Network, no matter like what method you're using, at least behind the scenes, what you basically have is, you know, if you think about your Bitcoin wallet and you think about UTXOs, unconfirmed transaction outputs, um, just to put it simply, it's, it's, you know, you have your Bitcoin wallet balance and, but of that balance consists of, you know, uh, inputs, um, unconfirmed inputs. So like, I like to think of them as like dollar bills. Like you have your wallet in your pocket, you have a $5 bill, you have a $10 bill. Right. Um, but in total you have $15. Right. So with the lightning network, you essentially lock up one of those UTXOs with another peer on the network. Maybe it's like a merchant that you use a lot. Maybe it's like bit refill or like, you know, if, if Starbucks had it, Starbucks is always the iconic case where, you know, instead of going to um, make an on-chain transaction, every time you want to buy something from Starbucks, Starbucks and having to like wait for confirmations or, you know, the whole shebang and, and paying those on-chain fees just for a coffee. What you essentially do is lock up that UTXO and you and that peer, instead of broadcasting a transaction every time you want to spend um, with Lightning, uh, you you kind of hold on to the state, you and that peer. And then when you're whenever you're ready um, to uh, close out the channel, maybe, maybe you don't, channels can go on forever. Um, you essentially just make payments back and forth. And then when you're ready, you broadcast that final state to the, to the chain and you can freely use your Bitcoin again to make on-chain purchases and stuff. So like, just to put it simply, a Lightning wallet, you'll, you'll lock up a UTXO. Um, and then from there you can make, um, 
you know, basically unlimited spans as long as you have a balance without having a broadcast on chain. And, and it even goes further than that. It's not just the peer you're connected to. So it's not just Starbucks, but then you from there you can, um, you know, make spends to the people Starbucks is connected to and so on and so forth. Yep. It kind of goes down gotcha. the line. Yeah. So let me let me just summarize some of that just for. So let's say you're a totally new user. You don't quite understand what's going on here in Lightning. So think of it, okay, so think of it this way, this idea, the UTXO, the unspent transaction output, what we're doing is let's say Anthony and I open a channel together. What I'm doing in that case is I'm opening a channel to him and what we're doing is we're creating, uh, we're putting a coin in in the sort of in the middle of our, us, if you will, it's a multi-signature. So we, we, have, we both have to sign to spend that. But there's a special trick with Lightning where each party can pre-sign a transaction and give it to the other side and then we can unilaterally close that. And so if you're just thinking, you know, if you're a listener and you're just thinking, oh, I've got my Trezor or my Ledger or my cold card, what's going on with all this? Well, what you need is a special wallet for this and it deals with Lightning for you. So if you just want an easy way to get started, if you're a newbie, uh, Moon, M-U-U-N or Phoenix or Breeze are some of the good non-custodial Bitcoin Lightning wallets. Now, if you're at a low income level or if you, you know, let's say in the El Salvador case, you might have to use a custodial wallet like Wallet of Satoshi or Blue Wallet on the default setup, right? That's just a few examples just for a new user. Now, there are different kinds of users, right? So as you were saying, if you just want to be able to spend and receive on the mobile wallet, right? Moon, Phoenix, Breeze, Wallet of Satoshi, Blue Wallet, these are all examples. You've got the more hardcore lightning user, let's say, the guy who wants to have his remote control home node, right? He's got his Umbral or his Noddle or his uh, MyNode or a BTC Pay, and they are out and about and they want to use their wallet on their phone. And they might have Zeus or Zap Wallet uh, or Spark connecting back to Sea Lightning. So that's kind of the more hardcore lightning user. Uh, and then we've got the routing node operator. So that's kind of a more special one where now you are actually trying to set up channels because as we were saying, you can we can set up that channel between us, but then it can also route not just between you and me, but to the other people that say you are connected to. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about some of those other types of users? So routing node operators and merchants, for example, what, what what's their use on Lightning Network? What are, the, what are they doing with all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll start. I'll start with merchants. Um, for merchants, it's really good because uh, you know they can accept payments instantly, um, and and they don't have to worry about like confirmation of this stuff. With with merchants and node operators, um, they kind of have this interesting incentive. So in that case where you know I'm routing a payment maybe through Starbucks to get to you, um, you know Starbucks in this case if they're in the node in the middle, they actually can collect a fee off of that. And and right now like fees are like super um, low. You know sometimes it's just like one a single Satoshi <laughs> for for a fee. Um, so Lightning Node operators, uh, but you know, on the, uh, in that one Satoshi fee, I mean, if you've got thousands and thousands of payments going through the Lightning Network out at, at you know, any given day, um, those fees add up. So if you're talking a few thousand Satoshis even a day, I mean, that's, you know, a few bucks here and there, you know, it, it, it completely adds up. And then some of the people in the Lightning Network um, will actually make thousands of dollars a month uh, routing payments, some of the more um, long-term uh, Lightning Node operators. So, um, you know, it, it's it's not always the expectation that that you're, you're going into it making a lot of money as, as a node operator, but there is this incentive of being able to um, lock up liquidity to the necessary places that, that kind of want it. And, and in, in turn, your, um, you know, your 24-7 node routing payments for other people and you're collecting a little fee off of that. So that's kind of like from a routing node perspective, and even a merchant as well. A merchant will have their 24-hour, 24-7 know that pretty much function the same way. 
Yep. And so for listeners who are new, if you are, let's say you want to set up and take lightning payment in person uh, or in like a shop in that kind of context, you might look at, say, an app like Breeze, right? B-R-E-E-Z. They can set up. They've got a very easy merchant setup. Or on the other hand, if you want to, uh, someone you can go to to set up for you to take lightning, you can go to Open Node. Uh, or if you're more sovereign, you can go to BTC Pay Server and set up your own thing. Now, okay, so I think we've set some of the background for listeners. Let's talk a little bit now about the actual privacy implications, right? Because, oh, sorry, one other point. I think it's important for people to understand lightning, I see it as mostly a scalability thing, um, but it can potentially have some privacy benefits versus us spending just naively on chain. Because if I spend on chain, I might actually reveal my entire balance to you. Whereas if I spend on lightning, that's actually, it it sort of depends, you know, what exactly I'm doxing there to you, but it's arguably better than a naive on-chain transaction. Um, Although I would say it's kind of like if you want to have the least privacy leakages in Bitcoin today, you're probably looking at using Samurai Wallet and staying on chain and doing everything correctly with the coin joins and so on. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important to talk about where are the potential places we're falling down in the Lightning Network. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about some of the the privacy leakages from a high level for your Lightning users. Yeah, exactly. And and you're exactly right about, um, you know, their on-chain history that lives forever, right? Um, but your your temporary payments that, or the payments that you're making, those won't. But there's still like some leakages, as you said, like, um, you know, if you're a routing node operator and you're opening up a bunch of channels, you're, you're locking up a bunch of UTXOs um, together, um, you know, those UTXOs can be kind of revealing, like you said, like they link back to your original balances, they link back to the source of the of the payment. So like if you if you're coming from Coinbase and you're going straight into Lightning nodes, like Coinbase can see that. Um, other other people may make inferences as well. But um, but then there's also like even just setting up your Lightning node. Um, you know, if you were to use um, your Lightning node needs to be on 24-7, basically, if you want to be like a good merchant or a good routing node. So you basically have to set that up. And there's two ways to basically go about it. You can be an IP-based node, so your IP address. Um, so if you're running at home and you have your node at, from using your IP address, so, I mean, that basically doxes at least a, an approximate location of where you're at. You can look that IP up address, that IP address up online and kind of see an approximate location of you. Um, so like typically people will suggest um, using Tor as the mode of using your setting up your Lightning Network. And then from there, you know, if you, it, um, it's, it's a little bit less reliable using Tor. There's, you know, it's not like it, you're not going to get like the, as much like speed or reliability as if you did IP based, but at least like nobody can see like where you live. Um, you know, if you have your um, node, your IP node on like AWS, everyone can see that's on AWS. AWS knows, <laughs> you know, if they're monitoring Lightning Network, they know where that server is. Um, so in general, it's just like a more private way to use Lightning, even just setting that up. But but that yeah, from from a high level, like um, just setting up your node um, to receive payments, you have to pretty much. Um, in some way, dox yourself uh, to receive a payment, um, and and we can definitely get more into what I mean by that. You know, you rev- you have to reveal certain information to the sender. Um, but but you know, from at least like a positive note, I would say like in general, like senders have like way better privacy than they do on chain. Um, like you said, if I if I spend an on chain transaction with Starbucks or something, um, they can look up that transaction on, uh, online and they can see the wallet that it came from, the address that it came from in there. If you have other UTXOs on there and you have other history 
on there. Um, they can even see like, oh, wow, like this guy has a, a history of sending to, you know, these addresses that are linked to bad things or, or things that we don't approve of, you know, whatever that may be, or even mixing. Mixing is still something that's pretty taboo, uh, especially with exchanges. So senders have way better privacy on the Lightning Network as a result, but um, but it's, it's still not like uh, a perfect solution in some ways, but it's still, like you said, better than just being on chain and everything being revealed. Yep. And I think it is also important. So when we're talking about this stuff, we hear people talk about this concept of threat modeling and thinking about exactly who is that user trying to be private from and what are they trying to hide from who, right? Or just rather, I shouldn't say hide, but not reveal, let's say, right? So as an example, if you're spending on chain, people might be revealing their entire, they might be revealing their salary or what they're spending on uh, and who it's going to. Whereas at least in the Lightning Network, if you have a Lightning balance on your mobile phone and you're spending out, it's sort of, it's, you're doxing that not out to the entire world, you might be doxing that to certain individuals, a certain parties. Uh, an example might be, let's say you are a new user and you're just using, say, Moon Wallet. Well, Moon Wallet knows who you are, you know, the company Moon would know who you are paying, but the outside world doesn't necessarily have a clear picture. Um, maybe someone who's trying to actively surveil you on, you know, in terms of interposing on the route, maybe they have a little bit of information about you, but it's, I guess, at the end of the day, there's different, I guess, levels of adversarial person who's trying to spy on you, right? So it's, it's like, you might say, okay against like a some government agency there's no way you're hiding against them but if you're hiding against let's say random onlookers or a private investigator maybe you can be private against those kinds of people yeah exactly and 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 what you brought up with the moon case is, is a great point because um, moon kind of sits in the middle of, of their users transactions right so if a moon user is paying another moon user like moon can see that right um, but then again like is is that much of a concern to you well you you know it goes back to you know you know, if, if you're using Moon just to play around with and using, you know, small funds, no one, I think no one really cares, uh, you know, that much about you. But if you're like um, a high risk individual, um, it's funny, even Edward Snowden last week uh, came on and, and was even, you know, saying from a privacy perspective, lightnings and shenanigans. And, and I wouldn't say it's shenanigans, um, but it's definitely like if you are high risk, like Snow Edward Snowden, like there's a lot of things to be concerned about um, using lightning. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily consider it, uh, you know, safe enough for him to kind of op openly lose. Maybe he should read my article and kind of figure out all the things he could do <laughs> to be more <laughs> private. Um, but, but yeah, it definitely goes back to like a threat model too, because um, there's things that active attacker could figure out um, that are pretty revealing. So like, for instance, they can figure out there's this concept note uh, known as like private channels where you can basically um, have. So this scenario where I describe where I open up a channel with Starbucks or anyone else, you know, if, if I'm a routing node operator, I want that to be public. So that way I can collect fees and other people can route through me to get to um, Starbucks and I can collect, um, you know, fee uh, payments that way as well. Um, but then there's this concept known as private channels, which is really more unannounced channels. So you don't announce it to whole lightning network, just you and the other peer knows by default. Um, but, you know, active attackers could figure it out actually by using, um, you know, uh, probing attacks, um, you know, which we can get into. But, but yeah, like active attackers can actually um, get a lot of information out. But then it goes back to, okay, um, you know, maybe an active attacker, just a single person, a private investigator, or, you know, maybe a, a smaller chain analytics company, you know, they can try to active attack as much as they want, as fast as they can. There is still timing limits, I think, in one of the papers, um, like, for instance, balance probing, there's a balance probing attack, and that takes like 20 seconds per channel. So if you're just like one 
node and you're trying to scan tens of thousands of channels, that can that could take a while. It could take a few days or more. Um, but you know, if you have a lot of nodes, if you have a lot of resources, if you're NSA level and you have a lot of Bitcoin funds or or whatever, um, then you definitely can have like you know that if you can definitely try to do these active attacks and and get a lot of information more quickly. Yeah. So I guess maybe. So yeah, like it, it's definitely fun based. Yeah. 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 So maybe we'd summarize that then is okay. Fine. If you're a super spy, don't be using Lightning and expecting that it's going to be private. You need to be using other tools. But if you are using Lightning more for the sake of you know easy use experience and maybe some additional privacy compared to naive on-chain spending that's probably a fair statement i would say um so let's get into balance probing now you're telling us a little bit about that what is a channel balance and how does someone balance probe why is that a problem yeah exactly okay um, what, what's the benefit of it too right yeah exactly it can kind of go both, go both ways um so in in this scenario where i open up a channel with starbucks and and um i put up my utxo say it's for one bitcoin all, all that balance is on my side so Starbucks didn't put up anything on their side, right? So Starbucks can't send me anything through this Lightning channel, but I can send up to one Bitcoin um, to Starbucks or through Starbucks if I wanted to. Um, but that also means not only Starbucks can send me, not, not only Starbucks can Starbucks not send me anything, but even other peers can't send me anything through that channel either, which is it's an interesting because by default, you don't know, other nodes on the network don't know the balances of each, of each channel. Um, you kind of know these public channels and that you can possibly route up to a Bitcoin or whatever the channel amount is, but you don't know who, what funds sit on which side. And it's, it would be a privacy concern um, and kind of like a network gossip concern as well, flooding the network with this information. Um, you know, wouldn't scale anyways. But besides that, it is a privacy concern because if balances were revealed, then you can kind of see the flow of funds across the network and you can see when funds are collected by individuals, stuff like that. Um, so it turns out with Balance Probing, you can actually f- figure out balances. Um, you can An attacker could actively start sending a bunch of fake payments through channels uh, with the intention that it will never resolve. It's using like a fake payment hash, um, so fake data. And, and as soon as, if if that transaction were to get through to that node, um, it, it would reveal certain information. So for instance, um, if, if you're trying to figure out the balance between me and Starbucks and you're sending a bunch of payments through Starbucks and trying to get to me, if if like, you know, if half a Bitcoin transaction wasn't going through, then you would know that, okay, there's not half a Bitcoin transact um, a balance on Starbucks side. Um, but you, so you would lower the amount until it finally goes through. And let's say like a thousand Satoshis or 2000 Satoshis were able to get through. Then you know that most of the balance is on my side. So, you know, like basically 0.9 um, Bitcoin is on my lightning node at any given time. And if if that were to change, if all of a sudden you were to probe me the next day and you figured out that, oh, wow, like now Anthony only has like 0.1 Bitcoin on his side, you know, I made a pretty large payment to somebody. Maybe it was Starbucks. Maybe it was another person. Um, so I think um, with these balance probing attacks, you can hone in on an individual um, and an individual node and really try to figure out balances there. Um, but theoretically, like uh, an active attacker with a lot of resources, um, you know, maybe NSA level. <laughs> Uh, could balance probe the entire network and try to get a good estimate of where flow of funds are moving. Maybe they won't get exact estimates of like individual payments. You know, that would be pretty difficult, but at least being able to see the flow of funds across the network. And and if you get into situations where um, it's you, you can maybe figure out it's originating from a certain node, you know, doing some really large payments. Um, so I think like you can, with Lightning Network, you can kind of blend in good enough, even with balance probing, if you're just like a small general user. Um, and as the network lo- grows, it's going to get increasingly harder to do these balance 
balance attacks, and it's going to be uh, less accurate as time goes on and as more people are actually using the Lightning Network, especially for larger payments. The smaller payments kind of flow or start planned in a lot easier. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. So it actually, the privacy might increase over time as the network grows. And now there's one other point to think about with probing, which is some Lightning wallets actually use a form of this to give a better user experience to their users. So Jack Mallers on one of the recent episodes talked about that also, where with some of his users on Strike and potentially on Zap also, where he wants to be able to probe to figure out how much fee they're going to pay and find. And it might also be a reliability thing where maybe there's some use of probing to give a better user experience. And with all of these things for listeners, there's a trade-off here, right? Because you could try to make it more private, but then it might be less reliable and maybe the payments won't go through as quickly or maybe the experience won't be as good because you won't know uh, roughly how much fee you're going to pay. It might be two sats, it might be 10 sats, it might be 100 sats, we don't know. And probing helps the wallet developers give a better user experience and uh, business lightning businesses give a better user experience for their customers, right? Yeah, everything you said was exactly right. And even especially for custodial wallets um, like Strike, they need to know the fee and show that to the user before they send the payment. They can't just send the payment and come back to the user and say, oh, hey, by the way, yeah, we sent your payment, but hey, look, it's going to cost a dollar, <laughs> you know, or it ended up costing us a dollar, um, so you got to pay it. So you need to know ahead of time what that fee is going to be and then present that to the user and say, okay, we'll send this, t- you know, um, 100 Satoshi, um, you know, payment, but, it, it, you know, it'll cost this much to do it. And and then the, it at least gives the user a better experience that way. So yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and, and in fact, um, even like balance probing, like you could use it for good to try to, you know, even actively balance probe the entire network to see where liquidity is being needed and drained up. And you can actually start allocating funds as a Lightning Node operator to that direction. So there's there's definitely pros and cons um, to balance probing and the fact that you can do it. But from a privacy perspective, it's a con. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And now we were talk- we were touching on this as well, but around lightning transaction history, right? So as we were saying, in order for somebody to see what you're doing on lightning, I mean, some of it is, yeah, just looking at what are the, what's the channel graph, right? So when the lightning node spins up, it's trying to say, hey, uh, what's the state of the network? What are, where are all the nodes out there? Show me wh- what are all the public channels? But then also to actually see those transactions, it might be necessary for a surveillance person to try to interpose themselves inside that route and so that they can then try to understand oh this is the flow of funds it's coming and i can see oh based on you know the the structure of the network it looks like this payment might have come from this group of nodes maybe i can narrow it down to some of these five nodes or something like that maybe that's a little bit of a concern for people uh but again it requires active surveillance right to do that as opposed to just uh a chain surveillance firm who can just download the blockchain and just look at literally what's on the blockchain to see the flow of the bitcoins yeah exactly um besides just balance probing in general there's there's other attacks like like you said if, if a note if one of these attackers is actually sitting in the m- middle of payment um there's timing attacks uh, that they could do so if you know this would be more on the destination side but if 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 it took on average you know 500 milliseconds or sorry 100 milliseconds for each node um hop you know they can make estimates of okay this we routed this payment and it took five seconds to come back or not 
five seconds, maybe 500 milliseconds to come back um, as a successful payment. So we we know that on average, it, it'll probably be five hops away. And then they can kind of do surveillance too. Like, okay, what node would be five hops away um, that it's, it's kind of sending to? Or if it's like, if it's instantly, you know, 100 milliseconds and then know, oh, okay, well, that was the next destination was actually, sorry, the next hop was actually the destination. So they can kind of come up with um, metrics like that. And especially if they are, they can even constantly probe the network to figure out the times between each nodes and and even narrow down um, the timing attacks as well. But then, but then, yeah, um, you could even think of it in a way where um, an, an instance where an attacker actually has many nodes on the network and they can actually correlate together in order to see where payments are going. So if, if for instance, there's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pay a bit refill and I'm going through six different nodes, but three of those nodes or two of those nodes are an active listener, the same person, um, but they have some random alias online. It doesn't look like it's from the same person. They can actually correlate that payment together and see, okay, cool. Um, we, they could at least see four different hops, right? If they're, if they're, you know, two on each side, they can see a hop on each side where it came in, where it went out. And then on their other node, their second node, they can see where it came in, where it came out. And then they can see that it's the same payment hash and the same amount as well. And they, they can say, okay, cool. It, you know, we, they can try to get more accurate representation of where it may have came from and where it went to. It's also interesting with Lightning Network, there, it, there's a lot of like different graph algorithms to like figure out you know, the best and shortest path that you can make. So if you were to combine the, some of these attacks with um, the actual graphing algorithms that are being used for Lightning nodes, you can actually even just try to figure out, okay, cool, based on the path that it took, we know that, like you said, this this payment came from this direction and it's probably going in this direction. So, um, as a uh, one of the suggestions I, I, I mentioned, which isn't really reasonable for a user to do today, a more you know a highly advanced user could is actually create random spontaneous payments uh, that, that just go through a bunch of random different nodes that it really shouldn't normally go to in order to try to obfuscate. Right, to sort of spoof the data. Exactly. Yeah, gotcha. And I, I think that's also another point where um, listeners, you might be interested in my prior episode, oh, going back now with Rusty, where we spoke about MPP and point. So the concept you mentioned there was payment correlation. And so uh, I might not be able to explain this perfectly, but the um, in Lightning, there's this pre-image. And so so the sender of the payment, once you know they once that payment is uh, to finally release it, they're releasing the pre-image, and so it's asking the same question, right? So what is going to change once we get Taproot? Hopefully, uh, it looks like we're going to get it. Uh, the Lightning Network can change to this thing called point time locking, and that might fix some or help some of the routing aspects there, where it would actually help uh, have well payment decorrelation, right? Or stop the payment correlation, rather. It's probably a more precise way to put it, right? Yeah, exactly. The payment as it's going through each hop, um, instead of it being the same hash every time, it will it will look different every hop. So you can't exactly correlate um, the same payments together if you are like colluding with other routers or you literally are multiple routers um, at the same time routing the same payment. Like it fixes that to a degree. I think you could still um, do reasonable estimates based on like, okay, cool. Like if you are two nodes on the network and, it's, and a payment went through both those nodes, um, you could see that, okay, cool. Like in this in this very same, you know, five second period, this, this one payment with an amount of 2,510 Satoshis went through my node and then a second later went through my other node. Uh, so you can you can't correlate it as much as you can today with it being the same payment hash, um, but you can still kind of try to do reasonable estimates based on the amounts and stuff. It would it would be more of a yeah it would take a little bit more effort, but <laughs> maybe still possible. Yeah, yeah, and it's 
I guess there are with many of these things, there are some countermeasures, but it, it all comes down to trade-offs and there's not really a clear, this is the best way to do it. And so I think in many cases, the network will sort of just stay and any easy wins, of course, I'm sure, you know, Lightning protocol developers and Lightning wallet developers will take the easy wins, but there are fundamentally just going to be some trade-offs here uh, around how much effort they put into trying to make it private versus reliability or just trying to make the th- make everything scale better. Um, yeah, exactly. And then in the case of timing attacks, that one is really difficult because we literally want the Lightning Network to be as fast as possible, right? Uh, we want speedy, fast payments. But if we were to try to solve some timing attacks, one of the methods of doing that would be to add random delays through each hop. You know, maybe it's between you know 100 milliseconds to a whole second. Um, but as as you start trying to do things like probing, balance probing, things like that, um, it, it starts to exponentially increase the time it takes to do a probing and then do the actual payment itself. So that that would be a huge uh, UX degradation if we were to try to mitigate uh, timing attacks. Gotcha. So just just for the sake of privacy, yeah. Yeah. And so now let's talk a little bit about the channel graph because. Every time we are opening and closing a channel, so I guess let me back up a sec and think from the perspective of a new user, they might be thinking, oh, see, if I just stay on Lightning, then I'm just private because I never had to touch the chain. But the reality, obviously, is no, you had you still had to open and close channels. And in practice as well, it's not just about the setup, the initial setup, right? Because it's one thing to just initially set up channels. It's also about how do you have that flow going through because you might have to do loop in, loop out, or you might need to, uh, you know, close and you, you might need to do some channel management. And in those moments, there will be an on-chain impact. And in those moments, people can correlate things together they can uh, surveil you in that way so can you tell us a little bit about the implications there of channel open and channel close what's that mean for us as users yeah exactly um the lightning network thankfully is is really interesting in this one way where um as an outside party you don't really know which node open a channel between the two parties so if i open a, a channel with you to the outsiders like i mean of course you know that i'm the initiator of the channel and i put up my utxo lockup with you but to outsiders it just looks like okay hey this brand new channel appeared it's using this utxo um and it's between these two nodes and we really don't know who who made that um which is thankfully a really good property of the lightning network um but then like you said it kind of goes down um like let's say for instance you know, I open up a channel with you. No one else knows except you and me. And, and then I use the change of that. So like, let's say I have one Bitcoin in the UTXO and I only wanted to open, you know, half a Bitcoin channel with you. Um, I use the change, the other 0.5, and I open it up with Starbucks. And then all of a sudden you can see that this one node, he had originally this one input, this one UTXO originally, and it split into two. And now there's two channels, both coming from the same node. You can then infer, okay, um, Stefan, you weren't the... You probably weren't the open channel initiator to begin with, and Starbucks probably wasn't either um, because the node that opens the channel and has change back, they get the change back, of course, right? So then they can you can basically correlate and see that, okay, this the same person opened up multiple channels. So, um, you know, what one of the things people say is, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll just open up a bunch of private channels. And, um, but even from there, that's uh, private channels can be revealed. And, and even with the on-chain um, heuristics and opening and channeling, opening and closing, like a lot of this can still be revealed anyway. So um, it, it's it's really it's my like one suggestion is like either open up a cha- like if you're trying to be the most private as possible, which some you know may not be this necessary, but 
Um, if you really want to have at least a 50% doubt of who opened the channel to begin with, either open up the, the channel with the full amount of the UTXO or mix the change afterwards. Because it could, you know, it could be me or you that mix the change afterwards. We both have the same reasonable doubt of who it could have been. And then use that change, that mixed uh, change to open up a new channel if you want. Back to the show in a moment. CypherSafe.io are producing metal backup seed products. So if you have that piece of paper that just came with your Bitcoin hardware wallet, don't just trust in that. That's not going to be fireproof and waterproof and pet proof and tamper evidence like the Cypher Wheel will be. The Cypher Wheel is a metal seed backup product coming in a wheel shape and you slide in some tiles, four for each word, and in doing so you can make sure that you or your loved ones can access the coins if something were to happen to you. So make sure you look after this. We don't live forever. So go and buy yours at cyphersafe.io and use the code Lavera for a discount. Coinkite.com, the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the Cold Card. One of the most recommended hardware wallets by Bitcoiners. I think it's the best in the market. Cold Card offers all sorts of features like the ability to use it completely air-gapped. You can plug it to the wall or use a phone power bank and initialize it and then use it with popular wallets like Spectre or Sparrow or Electrum to do air-gapped transactions. Uh, The cold card offers PSBT natively, that's partially signed Bitcoin transactions, and it also works great as part of a multi-signature quorum also. It's got all sorts of features like an address explorer so that you can verify your address to receive Bitcoins onto also. So go to coinkite.com and use the code Levera for a discount. Have you thought about multi-signature to secure your coins? Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services and they are helping you set up with multi-sig vaults. So these are designed for ultra-secure long-term storage. There's no setup or storage fee if you build it on your own. But if you want some help, if you want that white glove treatment, they've got a concierge service, both for individuals or businesses, where their team will ship you some hardware wallets, they'll answer your questions over a calls, and they will deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. You get $50 off by using the code Lavera. Unchained have a range of services like loans, which you can use. They also offer an OTC desk in various states and they offer business accounts also. So make sure you go and check them out. The website is unchained.com. Back to the show. Yeah, right. And so some of that might be theoretical, but difficult to do today because many of the lightning wards, well, as far as I know, <laughs> none of the lightning wards have like coin join functionality built into them. So as an example, you might have to run your stuff through Samurai Wallet Whirlpool, for example, and then spend that into your Lightning Wallet or Lightning Node, right? Your LND or C Lightning or whichever Lightning implementation, and then from there open the channel. But then in that example, if if I wanted to spend, uh, you know, open another one with the change, well, I can't do that because I'm going to have to now spend that back out, run it back through a Whirlpool, back into the Lightning Node, like until it's all kind of meshed together. That's just not going to be a reality for most users. However, though, um, I know. Lisa and I got from the Blockstream team recently did do a dual funded channel. And that's an interesting one as well, because that could also kind of look kind of, I don't know exactly, but maybe that could be structured like a pay join. And maybe it would sort of start to break that heuristic there as well. What do you think? Yeah, no, dual funded channels is great. Um, Even the fact that it exists now shows that um, not only did did we have a 50% chance that it was either me or you that opened the channel, but now we have you know, a 50% or less, you know, whatever. 
I, I'm not sure the exact implementation of how it looks, but you're exactly right. It's a pay join too. So it could have been both parties that put their inputs together into that channel you take. So it could have been just me. It could have been just you. Um, it, even at, So it adds this dynamic of um, you know possibilities that it could be either one or both. Um, so you can't exactly correlate. It, it does look kind of like a pay join. Um, the one con that I do have, um, so there is an instance where an active attacker could try to initiate a, a dual-funded request with another person that is accepting dual-funded requests in order to fish out what their possible UTXO is, right? Because there's still cross-signing that has to happen and both parties have to reveal what UTXOs they're going to use for the channel. Um, so I could back out midway and see what UTXO you were going to use. And then I, I just leave. So if I see that UTXO used again in some open or at part of some channel opening, I can at least say, okay, that was that was Lisa's note. Yeah. That was Lisa's UTXO that she had, or or and then they can say, okay, because that was Lisa's UTXO, we know the other UTXO. If there was just two, um, may have been the other person. So, uh, but again, this is where an active attacker is needed, and I'm sure, like, if there's like, you could probably see this abuse happening. Maybe um, I'm not I'm not sure of the exact details, but um, just the fact that it exists right now, at least, um, you know, if if a chain analytics company started up. In five years, they can't like go back and actively, you know, try to snoop out open, you know, dual funded channels um, that are happening right now. So it's just the fact that it exists adds more doubt into um, channel openings. Which is pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there was a paper which you, I'm sure you probably looked at this, but it was called cross-layer de-anonymization, right? And so that was essentially this concept that we're talking about of looking at what's happening on chain versus what's happening on the Lightning world. And as you, like your example with the change output, this is you know that was some of the work that they were looking at in that paper. And so that paper looks like it's the kind of approach that some of the chain surveillance companies might uh, you know, adopt that. And they might also, because it's, you know, obviously there are NDAs and it's, they, they can't, they don't reveal this, but it's kind of colloquially known that there's information sharing between the exchanges and the chain surveillance companies. So as an example, if the exchange company knows that I, Stefan Levera bought, you know, this number of Bitcoins from this exchange, and then later they see, oh, he spent it out to this address. And then, then from this address, we can see that Stefan opened this channel here and then the change output there. You can sort of see where they could start to sort of build that picture on, say, me as an example, um, unless I took active steps to uh, obfuscate that, right? So as an example, if I used a coin join before doing that, or if I had done that only with coins that I had purchased you know, in person and not from a like a KYC exchange, right? I guess there are different steps and ways that a person could try to obfuscate this a little bit. And uh, it, obviously, if you're not if you're not Edward Snowden, James Bond, super spy, you're just having you just want some level of privacy. Then maybe that's something that you could get there. Um, but uh, any thoughts on that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the things I did want to bring up about that paper, which was which was new to me, which was interesting, even just opening private channels and like let's say a node opened up a private channel, like me and you open up a private channel, and then we um, we have you know let's say nobody really knows it existed. I mean, there's private channel probing attacks, but let's say nobody knew it existed. But then you know I, part of that balance goes to me when we close, and part of the balance goes to you when we, when we close. But then we use that change to open up <laughs> public public channels. They can see that okay. Okay, this this one output was actually used in 
two different channel openings, public channel openings afterwards, and they can actually deduce that, okay, we know we, we know with a pretty high degree that that even if they were private channels, even after the fact, so like this is not an active attack, just after the fact, um, they could they could see that um, with a reasonable doubt that that input was used in the private channel after afterwards. So that's that's an interesting aspect out of that paper. But but yeah, you're you're exactly like like you wouldn't necessarily want I, I wouldn't I would say like always like mix your change or sorry mix mix your UTXOs after you get them from Exchange before going to the Lightning Network just to kind of yeah build enough doubt that you know you're using the Lightning Network. I mean today it's fine. I think I mean we have exchanges using Lightning, but you know at a certain time coin join uses usage wasn't so blacklisted with exchanges at one point, right? So, you know, who knows if exchanges start to catch on or regulators start, start to catch on and, and actually disapprove of the use of Lightning because they see it as a sort of mixing technology. We don't, you know, I think for now we're okay, <laughs> but you never know in, in the future. So yeah, either mixing your chains or trying to, um, and I can talk about this more, but trying to source UTXOs from um, alternative sources, like you said, non-KYC sources, or even um, what's interesting services like BitRefill Thor, where they'll they'll actually open a channel with you. So you're not using your TXO at all. You're just using one of BitRefill's UTXOs, or you can lease channels out with something like Lightning Loop, and um, you can have someone else open a channel with you that way as well. But but yeah, there's like my suggestion would be either like to use mixed coins uh, for channel openings or to try to even yeah source UTXOs from from other places. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting idea. So. You know, we might as well go into that. So this idea of using someone else's coins to set up your Lightning node or to get started into the Lightning world or... So I guess probably the main two pathways for the person who wants some kind of privacy in the Lightning network, but not super spy level, right? They might buy some coin non-KYC, run it through a coin join, open the channel, open the private channel to who they want to spend to, uh, and then make sure they're mixing the change. That's probably the flow, right? For that kind of person. And then the flow for the person who wants to, let's say, use someone else's UTXO, what does that look like if they wanted to spin up a a Lightning node or maybe have a mobile wallet? What would that look like? Yeah. So with some of the services there are um kind of like there are they are external services so not natively built into the lightning network i know with dual funded um you know you kind of partially get that but um so for instance like BitRefill thor um you can go to their website um and you can just probably i don't know the url just google BitRefill thor and you can actually even pay in lightning um to open up uh, to have them open up a channel with another node. So for instance, like one of the things that I want to do um, is like have these like disposable <laughs> throwaway lightning nodes um, where, you know, or, or yeah, where I send funds into um, BitRefill in order to open up a channel with whatever node am I choosing. Um, so you basically just put in your public key um, and then they will do the connection request. Um, then there's also like Lightning Pool, which I, I really like Lightning Pool. I use it as, as a leaser. Um, basically the idea is that you get you you as like let's say you want someone to open up a channel with you, which helps solve the inbound liquidity problem. You will pay um, an on-chain transaction basically to have them um, to have some random node that's selling online. You don't know who it is beforehand, um, but you have them open a channel with with your node. And then Lightning Labs is actually coming out with a product soon called Sidecar Channels, um, which you can even pay to have have it go to uh, have that channel opening happen with another node that's not related to yours at all. It could be any node 
um, that you do it. So um, each each of these methods of like trying to source a different UTXO or trying to get other people to open up a channel with you, um, it's all going to kind of be like external services. So like Bit Bitrefill, Thor, Lightning Pool, they all have their own websites. Uh, Ellen Big is another one, and then I think Yalls.org is another one. So those four that I know of um, that actually have this service um, where you can go on their websites and, and pay to have them open a channel with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then the other thing to think about here is um, it's not, it's one thing to get these set up initially, but then it's also about the flow actually happening. Because let's say you're a merchant or you are you know regularly spending, and now you need to refill. You know, so this is where you know some of the swapping in and out, right? So listeners, you can check out my earlier episode with Alex Bosworth where we spoke about some of these ideas. Um, but Anthony, maybe you want to touch on some of that idea around uh, actually maintaining this lightning economy and how would you refill let's say you're so as an example let's say you are spending and now you need to refill your lightning wallet well how do you do that you know yeah exactly um and, th- and there's two ways to go about it um sometimes like you know one method is okay you you're spending a lot and now you just emptied out one of your channels and, and then now what do you do do you do you close that channel and just you know start you know have nothing or do you actually go through the effort of, of refilling it um, and, and this is where like it, it, it even kind of helps on the privacy perspective as well. Um, but just in general, like you can, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you spin up another node to do this, but maybe use a service like lightning loop, um, and lightning loop, they have, um, two services, uh, loop in and loop out. So you can actually pay if you wanted to loop in, uh, you can pay lightning labs, some fee. It's, it's not like an insane amount, um, but you know, you'll, you'll pay an on-chain fee and basically lightning labs will send send the payments to whatever invoice you you give it basically and there's other services like that too lightning labs uh their loop in and loop out is probably the most well known so you pay them an on-chain fee uh a non-chain transaction and then boom they send you the same amount or, or minus the fees uh, into your lightning load to refill your, in this case, outbound liquidity. But then you can also go the opposite way as well. You could loop out. So um, this actually helps, I, th- I think, on... For a merchant, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's say you are receiving a lot of, of uh, Bitcoin through your lightning channels, and then now you, you can't actually receive any more, right? Like you maxed out your inbound liquidity. Um, so you need, uh, you, you have multiple options there. You can, like I said, try to get other people to open a channel with you to help solve um, the liquidity problem. Uh, so they put their funds up, open up with you, and they basically allocated liquidity to you. Or you can use Loop out um, and spend down your channel. So you you push uh, your push your funds out, and you'll actually receive an on chain transaction from that um, from from the Loop server from the Lightning Labs team. Um, you'll receive a brand new UTXO, and what that basically does is you just spent down your you you still have like the same amount of Bitcoin, right? You you get that on chain transaction worth whatever amount minus the fees, but then now you can receive payments again um, from from other people on the network, and yeah. and it's actually a good way to yeah. to, uh, to source a brand new UTXO as well. Right. Yeah. So just walking that through because for new people that might be a bit difficult. So let's say, so thinking back to that analogy with the channels, remember it's like an abacus and there's beads on that abacus. And imagine if you're a merchant and now you've already been selling lots and lots of products so people have been paying you. So now in your channels, all the beads are sitting on your side or if you're thinking pipes, the water is all on your side. Now what you need to do is kind of flush it back out or push it back the other way. So what you're going to do is push the lightning balance back to the other side of the channel, pay, make a lightning payment, right? And then receive it back on chain, right? So it's kind of like taking money out of your left pocket and putting it in your right pocket, but we're just manipulating what's going on in terms of lightning versus on-chain Bitcoin balance. So in this example, loop out, 
you are making a Lightning payment out to Lightning Labs in Lightning, but then you're receiving it back on Bitcoin on-chain, right? Just spelling that out for the listener so you understand what's going on um, there. Um, And then the other benefit, as you were saying, is that actually could be a little bit interesting from a privacy perspective because it helps obfuscate a little bit what actually happened on-chain because now outside observer doesn't necessarily know what's happened there, right? They don't necessarily know that you've taken it out and pulled it back on chain because you could have taken that back on chain into your CoinJoin wallet, which you then run through a CoinJoin and now boom, you've received this money and the outside uh, spy doesn't necessarily know what's going on of of, of what your behavior is, right? Yeah, and I actually kind of prefer that method to um, CoinJoin use, uh, doing a CoinJoin um, on, on that because I mean, with CoinJoin usage, it's, it's, we are unfortunately in the situation where it's, it's um, blacklisted basically in a lot of exchanges. So just seeing the fact that you were part of that CoinJoin, it looks negative, right? But for, for now, at least um, getting a UTXO from Lightning Labs that has like no connection to your identity at all. You didn't get it from a KYC service. You didn't get it. Um, it, it wasn't part of a coin join. You just got this brand new UTXO by looping out. So like if I were starting up a new lightning node like today in order to try to get the most amount of privacy, I would like basically open up what I would do. Um, I would like, so I would mix one UTXO, open a channel with that. And then if I wanted to open more channels from that, cause maybe I wanted to be, I still wanted to be a lightning node operator. Uh, I just didn't want, I just don't want all my UTXOs to be doxed. Um, I would just keep looping out, keep pushing funds. Open, I would open channels, push the funds all the way to, to the loop server get a brand new UTXO from the loop and then and then use that to open new channels and that way you still have the new you're not using the chains from a previous um, channel so you're not doxing both channels that the fact that you were the channel opener and then you're also um, yeah so you still have that 50% we don't know which node op- use the lightning labs funds to open up the channel between two nodes so um, it's, yeah. yeah gotcha yeah yeah that's a really interesting idea and uh, I guess who knows uh, so even with CoinJoin it's not all exchanges that are blacklisting it, by the way let's, sure. to, yeah. just for, to, for listeners some exchanges are, don't like it and others are you know more anti-coin anti uh, you know chain surveillance so they don't do chain surveillance um, just so listeners know uh, and also probably a good point also to talk about when we are receiving Bitcoin we have to dock certain parts of you know we have to show hey I want to take the payment to this node so could you talk a little bit about that part of uh, lightning privacy uh, and what people can do about that aspect of it as in receiver privacy basically yeah exactly I'm glad you brought that up um, so as, as we get into these situations where like, like let's say you didn't do anything that I suggested and you open a bunch UTXOs maybe they're a mix maybe they're from Coinbase maybe they're from you know maybe even in this one scenario which would kind of suck for a receiver is that someone from, that was part of a dark net market or something used op, you know open up a lightning channel with you right so you don't have you weren't the one that did it, um, but still, it's a fifty percent. Okay, we don't know which channel used it, so um, it is an interesting scenario. So let's say you have some UTXOs and some channels that you know may to some regulars look bad, may, maybe it's fine, or maybe they're KYC'd. Uh, when you are trying to receive a payment um, through the Lightning Network, you basically, in, in most scenarios, um, you, you would give an invoice to the sender. And you typically, you'll specify the amount and other things. But some of the things you do reveal, you do reveal your public key, your node's public key. And the sender can look that up, 
look up your public key um, through maybe their own Lightning Node or through a service like 1ml.com and see all the channels that you have um, and all the UTXOs that make up their channels. They can see if you're using an IP address, they can see your IP address. So, you know, uh, it could, like if, if, uh, I know there's sanctioned countries and IP addresses that are from sanctioned countries, that wouldn't look good. So like if you were from these countries and, you know, (laughs) don't use the IP address option (laughs) to receive funds. Um, But uh, yeah, in in general, you you give out all that information, IP address, channels, the UTXOs making up your channels, all of that um, when when you give an invoice to another person. Um, And and then they can run chain analytics on those UTXOs um, and and maybe blacklist you if they don't like some of your UTXOs, even if you weren't even the person that opened the channel, right? Like, so, you know, whether or not regulators or exchanges that are highly compliant will um, get in the situation, you know, it's unknown to me, but I think, you know, it's definitely a possibility. And even if it's not an exchange or, or a regulated service, if you're, if I'm giving it to you and, and you see that I have 200 channels and, and all of that, you know, that makes up like, you know, five Bitcoin or more on my node in total, um, you're like, damn, <laughs> Anthony's a rich dude. Um, let me go to his house because with Lightning Network, you actually, your Lightning Node is a hot wallet. Um, you have to have your funds on a device, whether if it's your mobile phone or or it's a, a Raspberry Pi at home or something, um, the funds are hot. So you can show up when I'm not home or you can show up with a $5 wrench and then try to, you know, say, okay, I know you have a lightning note here somewhere. Um, you know, give, give it to me. Um, so your doxing addresses, uh, sorry, amounts, UTXOs, your IP address, if you're using IP, um, all of that information. And if you're using private channels, so some people say, well, you know, if I have any risky UTXOs or anything, I'll just open private channels. Uh, if you want to receive down those private channels, you have to reveal those as well. And, and, and when you reveal private channels, you reveal the UTXO making up those private channels. So you're not even safe um, with private channels there. So it, it's a whole lot of information that you do reveal and that other party um, senders, uh, people that you give the invoice to, if you just post it online <laughs> on Twitter, um, what some people do say, Hey, pay me. Um, I can, you know, anyone can then look up that node and, and see all that information. Yeah. So definitely like for receivers, it's, it's, it's terrible privacy for, for senders. It's a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, and with that, so as part of the channel graph or the route, uh, when, when nodes use that to try and calculate a route and so on, they, there's also that short channel ID, right? And as you point out in your article, that literally shows the Bitcoin, the block number, the transaction height and the output. So it's literally doxing the exact, this is the exact output that belongs to me or to you. And, you know, here I am world, <laughs> come and get me. You know, and so, and if you have any uh, way in which that is being doxed out publicly, now some large companies are probably fine. They've got an office, they've got security or whatever, like that's not a big deal for them. But for the sovereign lightning you know, user, the, you know, the sovereign individual out there, this might be more of a concern for them, right? Yeah, because even with those private channels, um, yeah, amount is is docs as well and, and, and things like that. So yeah, you're exactly right. Like, um, there was a, a proposal to kind of like make the channel IDs random, which I think would have been a whole lot better. But currently, channels do basically show the UTXO and the amount and, 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 the on, and then you can run on-chain analytics specifically on the private channel, the private channel IDs that you reveal. So that's why like 
one of the things that it's a shame is that we do call them private channels. Um, and, and in reality, we should just call them unannounced channels because um, there's there's not really an expectation of privacy. Um, they're not hidden from the world uh, if you were to send out invoices and, and they can even be um, you can even do like private channel probing to, to try to figure out a private channel between two nodes um, by using by guessing the, sh- the short channel ID, which you, know, you could look up on chain um, to kind of get a list of possible UTXOs that would make up private channels. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about where this is all going in the future, because there are improvements coming. And I think it's fair that we point some of those out too. So probably a big one, obviously, Taproot, which we've mentioned earlier, the soft fork coming to Bitcoin. And it. okay, fingers crossed, maybe this is famous last words, but it looks like it's coming. It looks like we're going to get the signaling for this next period, which means we might get it towards the end of this year. And if we get that, then the Lightning you know, protocol developers and uh, wallet developers and app developers will upgrade the Lightning network. And that might mask some of the channel opens and closes in a collaborative close case, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and as we mentioned, the point time locking, um, the point t- uh, so Taproot will enable the point time locking routing also. So that's another one where we're going to get a privacy win there. Um, uh, probably the dual funded channels aspect of it. So if that becomes more common, that can be like a steganographic heuristic breaker. So for listeners who are interested, check out, I think it's episode 149 with Waxwing, Adam Gibson. He's very well known for talking about that. And he can talk about the steganographic nature of that um, and some of the possibilities around maybe batch channel opening or batch, you know, some doing some of these ideas that might give a little bit more privacy. So do you have anything to add there in terms of where we're going? What sort of steps are coming in the future that might help or, or mitigate some of these privacy leakages? Yeah, um, one of the ones I really like, um, a lot of people know it as rendezvous routing. I think we may get something a little bit different that that's kind of similar um, called um, route blinding. Um, basically, the the theory of it is that when you are a receiver and you don't want to maybe dox who you are, um, I think with one rendezvous routing, you would actually encrypt some of the information, some of the routing information and the invoice you give the sender. And then the sender has to get it to a certain node. It could be could be uh, whatever choosing of uh, the receiver. And then from there, the rest of the payment will fulfill. So the sender doesn't know who the actual receiver will be. They just need to get a payment to the certain node and then the rest of the payment will, will go through. Um, so rendezvous routing um, will definitely like help receiver privacy. Um, I th- we may end up getting something similar called route blinding, which will try to accomplish the same thing there. Um, so those two are like probably from a privacy perspective, perspective kind of the, the bigger ones that will help along with taproot and, and shielding, um, you know, helping shield, uh, you know, what could be a, pri- a lightning yep, channel yep. open or close. Um, and then there's also like other aspects like, yeah, being able to being a, I think one of the things I think we can accomplish today and, and maybe it will improve with L2 um, is, is like either the concept of channel batch openings, like you said, or even channel factories where you can collaborate with a bunch of peers and, and open up channels that way. So um, the way even with like batch channel openings, what I like about it, I don't know, like you said, there's not a samurai wallet for lightning yet. Right. Um, but it would be cool if, if there is this collaborative batch channel opening where all the inputs instead of it belonging to one node that is opening the channel and, and, and dual funded payments instead of it belonging to just possibly two nodes that open up the channel, you can even extend it to be, you know, five, six, whatever, whatever limit, whoever decides to join in the batch channel opening, um, they all put their inputs together and they'll get, um, 
outputs to the other nodes and, and it'll be channel openings that way. So I think um, some of those will definitely prove kind of more so on the on-chain layer of it. But rendezvous routing or route blinding will definitely, excuse me, definitely help on the receiver privacy part, which I'm excited about. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and you touched on L2 there as well. Um, so for listeners, uh, check out episode 200 with Christian Decker, where we talk about the required soft fork for that, which is any prev out. And, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, after this taproot one, that maybe we get any prev out and then we get L2 and then we can have some of that stuff. But uh, so as I understand, L2 definitely helps in terms of backups, scalability, uh, and, you know, it might sort of start putting us on that pathway. Um, do you see any other privacy implications of that or is it mostly around scalability there? Um, I, I think L2 is mostly around scalability. Um, and uh, another aspect, just um, I, I believe channel closers, cooperative channel closers look a lot um, healthier too, and there's not this pun- punishment mechanism to them. So I think um, I think with but with L2, we all will also get channel factories, um, which I, I, I haven't looked too deeply at it, but I do believe we can kind of get a similar situation where we do get um, what looks like a batch, a cooperative batch channel opening. So I'm excited for channel factories as well from L2, from any prib out. So hopefully we can get uh, all those things, um, you know, within the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's try and finish this with some uh, practical or actionable tips for end users out there. So if someone is just a, an everyday user and they just want to be able to spend a little bit more privately, do you have any tips for them? And maybe sort of say, okay, at the beginner level, here's what you would say. And maybe at the more intermediate or advanced level, here's what you would say for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say for, for just general senders, um, you know, if you're not trying to be a James Bond or Edward Snowden, um, you know, um, if, if you know a lot about mixing or you have mixed before and coin, coin joined before, you know, try to try to do that before opening up your channels. Um, if you're just a general uh, sender and you want to achieve some privacy, you know, just open up one channel. May you know, you know, I, for the most part, just open up a, a channel with like a really good node on Lightning Network and Lightning Labs just released a product called Terminal, which um, helps you show uh, helps show you um, some some good channels you can possibly connect to. Um, the Lightning Network is definitely approved to a, to a point where like it can facilitate like really large payments now pretty quickly. So um, just you know, connect to one node and and you send your payments that way and, and for the most part you're you're not going to have any trouble and even if you want to like you know still receive i, I would like point to moon wallet so m-u-u-n um as like a really good wallet that has um implemented uh some pretty good privacy techniques um to help users and then it also abstracts a lot of the channel management and, and, and worries there so um if you still want to have some privacy as like a receiver um they do a pretty good job of, of like rotating public keys and channel ids whenever they create a new invoice um which is definitely like a big improvement from always doxing your the same public key every time you make an invoice so um for just general receivers yeah and, and even general senders too moonwall it's a, a pretty good one yeah, that's a cool one. So, I mean, yeah, you could maybe do a coin join and fund it with a coin joined UTXO. And then I guess for a beginner who just wants an easy moon wallet sort of setup, maybe that's maybe that's going to be helpful. Um, and uh, I know also Phoenix Wallet has Tor built in as well. So that's maybe another useful feature for some users out there. Uh, again, Edward Snowden, James Bond level, but just if you just want an easy spending. Yeah, any tips for the Lightning Node operators out there who want to try to set up a routing node, but they want to have a little bit more privacy than just open everything out there? 
uh, what are some the what are some of the practical tips for them? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, use Tor. Um, you know, maybe don't set an alias set that reveals who you are. Like, don't say I wouldn't make a note and say I'm Anthony Ronning and, and dox myself with the whole Lightning Network. Um, and then, yeah, I, I would say like my suggestion and like what I would do like if I want to be a Lightning Node operator and on a brand new node, I would open up a channel with one mixed UTXO, like one large one, and or, or maybe like put in a few UTXOs, uh, mixed UTXOs if, if that wasn't enough. And then I would just keep looping out um, looping out and getting new UTXOs and just using those UTXOs to fund more channels. Um, that way I'm funding channels with UTXOs not tied to my identity and, 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 and things like that. So, and then from there, like you're, you're, you're pretty safe. If you ever close channels, um, I would suggest like, you know, um, you know, throw them into a Samurai Wallet or another coin join implementation. If you can, I know it starts getting costly <laughs> doing that over and over again. Uh, but um, yeah, no, that, 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 those would be kind of my like core suggestions. Um, and then definitely like go through the article and jump to the end and, and I kind of lay it all out. And, and if, you know, you don't want to be like completely private, you can like omit some things, and but at least read the article to see if, if you omitted certain things, what, what are the connotations to that? So you at least know you're a more educated user in regards to privacy. And that's kind of the purpose that I wanted um, to get out of the lightning, uh, the, the article I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe one final note I might make as well is just around. Exactly. I don't want to scare people away from using lightning because I think ultimately let's remember it is a huge scalability win. Right. We are we if we are bullish, we're all bullish on Bitcoin here and we think the number is going up into all the numbers are going to go up. Right. Like number of users, price, every and fees are going to go up. And so as we speak today, it might be a couple dollars to get an on chain transaction. But if we if this thing is going where we all think it is, it's going way, way higher. It might be $50 for a transaction on chain. We don't know. And so over time, it's going to be useful to have lightning because, you know, there are a lot of people already using it as well. And I think it's I think, you know, if you just look naively at what's going on Bitcoin on chain, you might think, oh, every block, only 2,000 or 3,000 transactions in a Bitcoin block. But that's really more like settlements, right? And if we look at some of the data we're seeing now, companies like BitRefill or Bitfinex or uh, even Zebedee with their online Lightning Gaming, we're seeing a lot of transactions happening over the Lightning Network, literally thousands and thousands of transactions that are instant. So it is a huge win. Uh, and I guess my purpose and what I was thinking with this episode is the idea is we're, we're trying to clarify for people what's FUD and what's facts, right? What, what's the truth of the matter around Lightning? And, you know, I want to say, I, I, still think, I still think it's very much useful. I'm very much a promoter of Lightning, uh, but let's also be aware about the privacy implications. Um, so I guess that's kind of a final note from me. But what, what do, you, do you have any final thoughts there for the listeners? Yeah, exactly that. I'm I'm a huge Lightning advocate. I love building on Lightning. I love using Lightning. I, I use Lightning all the time. Um, and and yeah, I'm not trying to scare anyone away. Um, definitely. And and then and like you said, the sooner you can open Lightning channels, the better. It, it's just like my, when we're talking about privacy, like I have a pretty high bar in my head of like where you know trying. There's not no such thing as perfect privacy. I don't I don't think you're going to ever get get, a, get perfect privacy ever um, in life in general. So um, for me, it was like okay, let's let's figure out best ways you. And try to get the most amount of privacy on your Lightning Network in, in reasonable ways today. Like, what can we do today, not in the future, like right now? So, um, yeah. So, like, you know, if you don't want to employ all the methods because it'll cost you know more in fees and it's and it's problematic, like that's fine. You're you're probably not doing things that, you know, for the most part, you know, would, would look bad or, or doxing yourself too much or, or anything like that. So, definitely not trying to scare anyone away. Um, just if you have the time, you know, and you want to try to be a private person, or maybe you are a high risk individual and you do want to try to get the, the best privacy you can 
definitely read the article and, and give it a look. Um, it, it, it's, it's definitely, and one great aspect of lightning is that transactions aren't permanent, um, like the on-chain, um, transactions. So an act like a lot of it's revealed through active attackers. So, um, it, there's huge gains for privacy in that regards where a lot of the attacks are Excellent. temporary. Um, so it's, it's pretty good. Excellent. So listeners, I'll put, obviously, as always, I'll put the links in the show notes, but Anthony, where can listeners find you online? Yeah, you can mostly uh, find me on Twitter for the most part, um, CyCryptor, uh, C-Y-C-R-Y-P-T-R, or just look up Anthony Ronning, you'll, you'll probably find me. Um, or you can go to uh, also go to my blog, um, abitesjourney.com slash lightning dash privacy. Excellent. Thanks, Anthony, for joining me. Yeah, thanks a lot. See ya. So I hope you enjoyed the show and you got some valuable tips out there out of that, whether that is practical and actionable tips that you can use in your use of the Lightning Network or of Bitcoin today, as well as some theoretical understandings and uh, just understanding about the broader concepts that are applying as well as where we're going in the future with the Lightning Network. If you're a newer listener, understand that I try to make the show accessible for the intelligent layman while also making it interesting for the long-time Bitcoiners who are more intermediate or advanced level. Uh, but of course, you can contact me on Twitter at Stefan Levera and my email. You can find that on my website at stefanlevera.com. The show notes will be available at stefanlevera.com slash 276. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the Citadels. <laughs> <laughs>